0: Father, the psalmist said, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And uh, as, as men, we don't like to admit that we get afraid, but we do. There are, things that, uh, there are things that are circling our lives and our existence that scare us and that frighten us. It's just part of life things that are bigger than we are, things that are out of our control. But continually in the Scripture, we read the two words, Fear not. Fear not. I think of Isaiah 41, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. For I am your God, I will help you. I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. You, uh, you understand our fears. You end- understand our anxieties. You get them. We're grateful that you understand us. And we're also grateful that you are with us and that you are available to us and that you invite us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. We are grateful that you are our Father and that you are the perfect Father. Some of us in here, our fathers, we're not perfect. Our dads weren't perfect. You're perfect. You understand us, you get us, you invite us to take our concerns and anxieties and give them over to you. When we pray, when we talk to you, you give us your undivided attention Oftentimes, Lord, because we're um, flawed men, we think that you are against us. But the psalmist was very clear in Psalm 56. He said, this I know that God is for me. We, We thank you for what Jesus has done, that he came and he died on the cross in our place for each guy in this room. He took our sin and he paid for it. The one who was innocent, the one who had no sin, took all of our sin and died in our place, and then he rose on the third day, and he's now at your right hand, and he lives forever to make intercession for us. It's a mind-blowing thing that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for every guy in this room, but he does. We are thankful that when we come to know Christ and trust in him alone for the forgiveness of our sins, that he completely takes away our sins and adopts us into the family through his work. This is so staggering and so amazing that we, we struggle really believing it, but it's true. I pray tonight, Lord, that the fear and the anxiety that is inevitably in every man's heart, that you will calm it, that you will steady it as we get perspective on what you have done for us. There's no other road to peace except through Christ. Teach us, minister to us, Calm our fears, give us confidence that our lives are in your hand. We ask these things tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week we commenced this new study on the book of Philippians. We're calling it uh, Contentment in Crisis. Every guy in this room is in some kind of crisis. Uh, Your crisis is different than the guy sitting next to you, or behind you, or in front of you, but there's some kind of crisis. And uh, I I would define crisis as whatever it is that is in your life that you wish wasn't there and that you could get rid of. Uh, You could call it affliction. You could call it uh, a trial. You could call it uh, adversity. You could call it uh, suffering, same stuff. Uh, it, is <clears throat> it is normal for the Christian life. We, uh, we wish that it wasn't there, but it is. And crisis, suffering, adversity uh, is a tool in the hands of God in our lives that he uses to shape us, and form us, and mature us. Um, I said last week, and just by, by way of review, just briefly, uh, the, the book of Philippians deals with some of the, uh, I think, some of the most difficult issues in all of life. It, uh, it deals with the issue of joy. Of joy. There's a difference between uh, happiness, uh, fun. We're, we're, we're into fun. We're into happiness in our culture, in our nation. who wants to have uh, a good time, fun times. We all want to be happy. Th- that is not the same thing as joy. Uh, happiness is dependent on everything going your way. Uh, joy, as Paul talks about it, is not dependent on everything going your way. Uh, Finding joy and learning how to be joyful and learning how to rejoice in difficult circumstances is one of the hardest lessons in the Christian life. It's one of the last lessons that we learn. And uh, you never quite get it nailed down, because you can have it, at a certain moment, and then you can easily lose it. The other thing that he talks about in Philippians is contentment. Um, Flip over to Philippians 4. Now, we're going to do Philippians 1 tonight, 1 through 11, but I want to start in Philippians 4, the last chapter, because this contentment stuff is right at the top with some of, I, I think, with, the hardest lessons that can be learned in the Christian life. In Philippians four, uh, they had sent Paul a, a financial gift. He's in prison. Uh, they had sent him a gift. He hadn't asked for it, but they had sent it to him. In verse ten, he's thanking them for it. Um, verse eleven: Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. In whatever circumstances I am, I am in. Uh, See, this contentment Paul's talking about is a different contentment than we find apart from Jesus Christ. Everyone's after happiness. Everyone's after contentment. Uh, in, In the world's way of looking at things, the way you find happiness and you find contentment is you find those things when your stress is minimized. When you, when you can get yourself in a position where you have as little stress, where you have as little difficulty, where you have as little pressure as possible. That's your best shot at happiness and contentment. I'm always interested in watching these ads that they run, you know, during football games. It's either beer ads or financial planning ads, it seems like. and. These different companies—it doesn't matter what they are—but you see these, you see these ads, and you see this couple that looks about 45, but they're retired and they're actually 75, (laughs) but they look 45. She she looks unbelievable, and he's fit and trim. I mean, he looks like he could still play ball, and and his wife's just—I mean, she's an absolute knockout. And they look 30 years younger than they actually are. Perfect weight, no wrinkles, no complexion issues, perfect teeth. I hate people like that. (laughs) And they're golfing, or they're surfing. They walk out from their beautiful home, on the beach, in Maui, out to their own private beach. There are no sharks in the water. Their life is perfect. Uh, and, and what they did, they, they, early on, were very careful to plan, and everything fell their way, and da-da-da, and they're living this life, no stress, financially stable, perfect health, perfect teeth, perfect eyesight, perfect sexual relationship, is implied. <laughs> it's just perfect. It's just perfect. That's how you get contentment. No crisis, no worries, no health issues, no money issues, it's just perfect. That's how you get contentment. That's not the Bible way of getting contentment. And by the way, that's a myth and that's a fraud and we all know it. Nothing wrong with financial planning, but the problem is, every guy in this room has ever done financial planning You haven't been into your plan for three weeks, and you get blindsided by something. You see? It's just life. It's just how life works. Stuff happens. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer, even if you've got tribulation, because I have overcome the world. The contentment that Paul is talking about is is a contentment not due to lack of crisis, It's contentment that can be found in spite of crisis. It's a supernatural thing. Note what he says. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along in humble means. He's in jail. That's what you call humble means. I've learned to be content. I I, I have learned to get along with humble means. I uh, I also know how to live in prosperity. When I got a weekend at the Ritz-Carlton, I can, I, can, I can be content with that. But I don't have to have that. That's just, that's just a blessing from God, I thank Him for it. We, uh, I was doing a conference in Florida at one of those big hotels at Disney World for the Christian Businessmen's Deal, their national convention, and Gary Rosberg was here last week. And this was back in the early 90s when they had these massive floods in Iowa. And Gary was do- doing a lot of stuff with you know, relief and all that. And our kids are friends, so we took their two girls with us and we went to um, Florida. And I was speaking, and then, but during the day Mary would take the kids over to Disney World. So I had our three kids plus Gary's two girls. And you know, it was one of those crazy flights, and we got there at 2 in the morning and rented the van and get the van, and we drive up, and, you know, you just hardly see straight, so tired. And the kids are all asleep. I'll go into the front desk to check in. And uh, oh, good evening, how are you? Steve Farrar. She's F A R R A R. And she types it in, and she's looking, and she goes, hmm. <laughs> Uh, just a minute, please. Okay, here we go. Well, somehow I we got booked for the next night instead of that night. So you know, it's about a 20 minute deal, and uh, she, she's helping us gets the ma- manager comes out and says, uh, "All our rooms are taken, so but we have the presidential suite." And I, I, can, I said, I can work with that." <laughs> They put us in this presidential suite. It was nice. That was nice. Never been in one of those before, but uh, really liked it. (laughs) Really a nice setup. And uh, I remember at night, Mary and the kids would still be over at Disney World. I came in about 1030, and they had turned down the beds, which means they put candy on all the beds. So I just walk around picking them off. (laughs) They had about nine beds in there. Those kids never knew about that service. Uh, Get up in the morning, leave. You know, everything's a wreck. I come back in and everything's cleaned up. It's pretty nice. We were there what four nights? That was nice. That's not the normal Christian life. And quite frankly, I can't take too much of that kind of stuff, because what happens is I get spoiled. You know, it it was great, all those people serving me, but I'm not called in this life for people to serve me. I'm called to serve. If you're a husband, if you're a father, if you're a man, you're called to serve if you know Christ. You see? So that means sometimes you don't get the presidential suite. In fact, that means sometimes you don't sleep through the night because you got some crisis. Paul says, Not that I speak from want. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to go along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. This is a secret. It, 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 uh, it, 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 it it can be learned, but, but it's hard to learn. And the way you learn it is not through more prosperity. You learn it through more difficulty and more crisis. You see? Uh, we know this verse, verse 13, many of us. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context of it is learning contentment in all things. You see? Okay. Uh, On your way to Philippians 1, stop off in 2 Corinthians 11. I want to show you uh, Paul's uh, stress-free life that that he lived. And it's important that we have a little bit of this background, because it makes the things that he is going to say, it it makes it even more remarkable what he's going to teach. Because Paul wasn't one of those guys who just taught something with his mouth. He was one of those guys who lived it with his life. Uh, there is such a thing as in, in, integrity. Um, in, integrity, another word for in, integrity is uh, congruency. When, when, the, when all the pieces add up. You, you, you've been around people who, who teach something But you're around them enough to know that they don't actually apply that or live it or integrate it into their life. So there's a disconnect. But when someone actually teaches something, and you see them applying that diligently, that's congruency. All the parts, all the pieces fit. Now that's Paul. So if you look at 2 Corinthians 11, here's a little background. Paul is having to defend his apostleship. He's got some critics, they're really coming after him, and he normally wouldn't do this, but it's reached a point. He's, he's got to uh, make a bit of a defense here. Uh, uh, actually, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-two. 22, they are uh, saying he's not qualified to be an apostle. So he picks it up in 22 of 2 Corinthians 11. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And I speak here as if insane. I am more so. Now watch this. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments. It wasn't in prison once. Imprisonments. Watch this. Beaten times without number. Uh, you ever get in any fights in school? You, you remember every fight you ever got in? And some you won and some you didn't win. Paul was beaten times. You can't even count them for the gospel. Can't even count them. Uh, Often in danger of death. Not, Not every 10 or 15 years in danger of death. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You know why they gave you 39? Because 40 would kill you. Uh, Paul took off a shirt. Uh, His back looked like uh, ground round. You talk about scar tissue. Uh, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. So they would take rocks. He was pummeled. Broken bones, probably, I mean, it would seem to me, I'm not a physician, it would seem to me, you go through that kind of stuff and you're going to have some internal bleeding. Would that not make sense? How do you think Paul slept at night? How many Advil do you think he took? He didn't have anything. Now, this is the man who said, I have learned to be content." Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep." There was no GPS homing device on his life jacket. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst. When have you ever experienced that? I have just briefly, very briefly, matter of hours. Often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such <laughs> external things, there's the daily pressure of me on me of concern for all the churches. See, Paul's statement about contentment was not based on, living in a gated community where he got up and went to the spa every morning and then played 36 holes of golf, and then had his personal chef prepare his. This sucker knew about suffering. He knew about hardship, which to me makes it even more impressive when he says, I have learned to be content. I think for most men, to go through any, and, 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 you know, the other thing that's helpful to me is to measure what I think my crisis is up against this. It sure gives me perspective. Um, so many of us, the crisis that's in our life, we have to fight being bitter. Because we think we, we have been... Um, we think God has not been fair with us. Doesn't mean that we don't go through crisis and legitimate hardship, because inevitably we do, but what a perspective here. Now let's, let's go to Philippians 1. The, the question is, and the overriding theme for this semester is uh, contentment and crisis. The, the, the question can be, and you've got your crisis, I've got mine. The, the, the question to me is, how in the world can you learn to be content in crisis? Because the crisis, really what we want is we want it to be removed. And sometimes it is removed and then something else comes in. And so we use the term stressed out. Um, Philippians 1 Uh, I want to read, just read through the section of verses 1 through 11, and then go back and hone in on verse 6. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, elders and deacons, the leaders of the church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a standard greeting that Paul uses in his letters, But, man, it's a good one. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Uh, Where do you find peace? Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The peace I give is not as the world gives. Where do you find that kind of peace? The way you find peace, substantial, significant peace that seeps down inside your soul and your heart and your mind, Um, that kind of peace. Where do you find that? You only find that peace in the grace that comes from God. When, When a man knows, or a woman knows, that they're right with God and they have peace with God, there is peace. Any other peace is a false peace Because it's only surface and superficial, and it doesn't go down deep into the heart. It doesn't go down deep into the soul. Um, Okay. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. And now we see Paul praying, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul had a history of these people. We'll see this in a minute. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, or it can be rendered. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. It's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. There are certain people that are in your heart. Aren't there? You can't put everybody in your heart. But there are certain people that have a special place. The, the people that are in your heart, those are the ones that you should be praying for. Now, when I, say, when I say that, you can't pray for everybody. So when someone says, by the way, would you pray for me, be careful of saying sure. I, I try not to, I used to say sure, and then I'd rarely do it. So now I always try to put a condition on it. When you come to mind, I'll pray for you. Because that's usually what happens. If someone's in your heart, and they come across, can can I say something? We we get hung up on prayer. Uh, I've read books about great men of God who would pray three and four and five hours at a time and and think only 20 minutes went by. That's never happened to me. (laughs) Any part of that. I'll start praying, and in 90 seconds, I'm wondering who's starting for the Rangers tonight. (laughs) Does that happen to you? Does your mind wander in prayer? Sure it does. So does mine. Prayers don't have to be long. Prayers just need to be from the heart. You got someone in your heart? You think about your daughter? She crossed your mind? Just say, Lord, just give her what she needs. Just give her what she needs. Whatever, Uh, guys say. You know, I I had a guy this week say, "You know, Steve, I've always had just a real problem." A guy stopped me in a parking lot. He said, "I I need to ask you something. I've always just had a real struggle praying with my wife. It's just so hard for me, and I I, I don't know if it's because of expectations or I don't know how to I don't feel confident there." And I said, "Well, that's that's fine. I mean, that's I appreciate your honesty. I think most guys deal with that. Well, I'm not sure what to do." And I just, I just put my arm on his shoulder and I said, Lord Jesus, this friend, I really don't know him, but help him with this. We ask in your name. Amen. Kind of shocked him. I didn't tell him I was going to pray. I didn't ask him to bow his head. We didn't kneel on the asphalt. I just, I said, that's, that's how you do it. Next time there's something going on and, and your wife is, you know, you can tell she's burdened or something, just, just do a ten-second prayer. Just walk up. Don't say anything. Just walk up. Grab her hand. Say, Lord Jesus, we bring this to you. We don't see any way out of this. Would you help us? Amen. That's how you do it. She's in your heart, isn't she? Yeah. Okay. Don't worry about time. Just pray. Real brief, to the point. I know I'm working through Philippians, but go over to 1 Samuel 12. <laughs> because, yeah, it just popped into my head, actually. No, it didn't. I wanted to bring this up. 1 Samuel 12, there's a great verse in. 1 Samuel twelve twenty three. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Huh. If someone comes into your mind, pray for them. Doesn't have to be long. I'm praying for a guy right now who's a firefighter. I've met him once. He's got cancer of the sinus. Second round. Guy's in absolute pain, constantly trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband, just fighting through this stuff. Whenever he comes to mind, I just say, Lord, help him. Give him what he needs. Just help him get through the next couple hours by your grace. Okay. Let's go back to Philippians. See, they're in his heart. Verse 7. It's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart, both since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He really liked these people. They they weren't pains to him. Some some people were kind of pains, and there were a few people. In it, but generally, I mean, he had he had great affectation for these people. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer to pray for those who, who you love. That they would have real knowledge and real discernment. By the way, where do you get real knowledge and discernment? From the Scriptures. There's no other place. You get knowledge from the Scriptures. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, we, we are constantly bombarded with uh, lies and deception and propaganda, constantly. We We have got, we have got to counter that. With Scripture, we've got to counter that with truth. I'm always amazed, uh, and it's on my mind because there's another movie coming out. We, we had all the all the Christian books about the guys who die and go to heaven, and then they come back and they um, they go on tour, <laughs> and everyone comes to hear them. and And there was actually one guy I remember. This was years and years ago, but this guy did the whole, whatever his denomination was, he was in pretty much every significant church in the denomination. He died and went to heaven, and Jesus took him around. And they had a golf cart. I don't know what they did, but it was something. And, uh, and, he pretty much, and that pretty much ran its course. And wouldn't you know it, he had another thing happen, and he died and he went to hell this time. That was good for another ten years. Got a tour bus, did another round. You know, if he had been Catholic, he could have done purgatory, but he wasn't. <laughs> uh, so there's this whole string of books, and they've been around forever. And now they're making movies. There's a uh, there's there's a really a uh, outstanding uh, you know publication. Uh, Called The Onion. I don't know if you've ever read it. The Onion is sort of the mad magazine of journalism. It's just, uh, it's it's all parodies, it's all uh, satire. And recently they had a front page article on The Onion that a man dies, goes to heaven, meets Jesus, and Jesus sets him up with a literary agent. So he can get the best deal on his book and negotiate the movie rights. Now, why am I doing all of this? Christians flock to this stuff. Uh, I was raised in a denomination where this was sort of common. and when I, I started reading the New Testament when I was twenty years old, and I remember getting to 2 Corinthians 12, which I'm not in and you don't have to turn to, but Paul was taken up to heaven. And I, I'll never forget reading the line, and I saw things Which a man was not permitted to speak. There you go. I know Paul went. I know he was an apostle. He's not lying. It's not spurious. He was called to heaven, and I saw things which a man was not permitted to speak. So then my question is, why do you get to speak? Uh, And and suddenly I just, uh, quite frankly, I just. I just reject that. I'm not judging anyone's motives. I just reject what they're telling me. I don't think it happened. Because, you see, when you read the Word of God, the Word of God is the standard, and we are to test the spirits. We're to test experiences by the Word of God. But if you don't know what's in Scripture, you can't test. And you don't have discernment. Discernment comes from the Word of God. Real knowledge comes from the Word of God. So he's praying that they'll grow in their knowledge of the Word of God. Okay, this why we, That's why you guys come to Bible study. That's why we get together on Sundays. That's why, you know, that's why we open the book. You see, this is Bible study. Okay. Uh, 10. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay. Big section. I want to hone in on verse 6 because verse 6 to me. Uh, is a nugget that helps me with this issue of contentment in the midst of crisis. Um, how can you be content in crisis? Uh, how can I be content with the things that are in my life that I wish were not there? It could be cancer. It could be a financial situation. It could be you know, all the things, myriads and myriads of things that are represented in this room tonight. Is, is it really possible to learn to be content in these things, It'd be wonderful when God takes them away. If he takes them away, it could be they'll be with you for the rest of your life. We don't know. Um, Verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. What you have here, uh, to me, you've got three perspectives When we're in crisis, when we're in pain, when we're suffering, or someone we love is in suffering, uh, we want out of it. You pray, you ask God to deliver you, sometimes He does, and sometimes you're still in it. How in the world can you find contentment in that kind of pain, that kind of difficulty, that kind of stress? It's a matter of perspective. When we're dealing with that kind of hardship and adversity, there are three different perspectives in life, But one perspective is capturing us and uh, until we can take a step back from that perspective, which is the immediate, present perspective. You see, in life, you've got present perspective, you've got immediate perspective. It's where you are right now. The only way you can ever find contentment is to look at the past and to look at the future. When the pain is there, it's so great, it's so difficult, it, it's, it's, it's so all-encompassing. The only way to ever get perspective is to take a step back and put on the wide-angle lens. That's the only way. This is what's going on in Philippians 1-6. And don't forget, right there in the next verse, in verse 7, Paul is in, is in prison, he's in Rome. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He doesn't know if they're going to take his head off. Later, they take his head off, but this imprisonment, he is released. It's later that he is imprisoned again, and he loses his head for the gospel. But that's really no big deal to Paul, quite frankly. If you look at uh, 121, you see, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But we'll get into that later. You see, it's all a matter of perspective people are afraid to die because they don't know what's out there we've talked about this how many times in here we live in a secular world we've got secular politicians we got secular leaders we got a secular government we got a secular educational system what do you mean by secular the secular individual the secular institution believes this is so simple the secular man believes this is the only world that there is. That's what Christopher Hitchens believed, the avowed atheist. And he went out saying, This is the only world that there is. Jesus said, There is another world. You see, this is not the only world that there is. But if you think this is the only world that there is, you're going to go after everything you can get, as much happiness. This is not the only world that there is. So, when you're in pain, when you're in difficulty, when you've got something you can't shake, you're asking God to release you from it, you just, He you still got you in it because there are still lessons to be learned. Okay, How in the world can you begin to find contentment? You have got to take a step back and wide-angle this thing. Now watch this. For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you, Stop right there. He who began a good work. What's a good work? He brought you to Christ. You heard the gospel. You were were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. But even when we were dead, he made us alive. Jump down to verse 8 of Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works that any man should boast. At, At some point in your life, You were born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Do I enter into my mother's womb a second time? No, no. But you see, just as we're physically alive, see, everyone is born physically alive but spiritually dead. The inner man is dead. The inner man must be made alive. If any man is in Christ, he is a a new creature. Old things pass away because old things become new. So, when when we hear the gospel, when we respond, when the Spirit of God regenerates us, and we come to Christ, and we trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, it's because something internal has taken place. You see, it's it's life-changing. It's the power of the Word of God. A dead man is made alive. A dead woman is made alive. Okay, it's what happened to Lazarus happened to us. Lazarus was as dead as a doornail. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and here he comes. That's what happened to us spiritually. Now, he, that's, that's when everything began. He who began a good work. So Paul's talking to the Philippians. He's got a history with these people. What's your history? What's your history? When did the Lord begin the good work in your life? If you flip over to Acts 16, we actually have the uh, historical sketch of how the Church of Philippi came to be, and it's really it's a, it's a fascinating story. Uh, it was uh, I think it was John Flavel who said this, and I got to set it up real quick as we're going to Acts 16. When if you go down to if you go down to Dallas Seminary and you say to yourself, gosh, I want to learn the Old Testament. I mean, I really want to jump into it. Uh, you'll enroll in, in, in a Hebrew class. And, uh, and if you want to learn the New Testament, you'll enroll in a Greek class. Uh, to me, Greek's a lot easier than Hebrew. Hebrew, I mean, Greek, a lot of our words come from Greek. But Hebrew, Hebrew. <laughs> uh, Hebrew's tough. Uh, Hebrew, you know, English reads left to right. Hebrew reads right to left. To us, reading Hebrew is backwards. I had a rabbi sit down next to me in a plane one time, and he took out his Old Testament turned to the back. Genesis is in the back. Hebrew reads backwards. With that in mind, John Flavel said, Some providences of God, like Hebrew letters, are best understood backwards. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. A lot of times when we're struggling, we're in a difficult spot. God, how could you allow this? I don't feel like you're hearing me, Lord. I, I, I don't feel like I'm getting any relief, Lord. Yeah, you got that immediate perspective. That pain is right in front of your face. you got to take a step back, and you got to look back. You've got to look back. He who began a good work. So, in Acts 16, this is a remarkable story, because Paul gets Timothy, and they're on their way to go visit churches, and they've done one missionary journey, they're going to do another. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, verse 6, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's really interesting. Do you, know the, you know that Christianity really didn't get to Asia until about the uh, 1800s? They were on their way to Asia. But uh, they had been forbidden. After they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. That's interesting, isn't it? In other words, see, they had a plan, and they were not permitted. You ever have a plan, and you're not permitted? Don't fight it. Roll with it. God has a plan. The mind of man plans his way, Proverbs 16. But the Lord directs his steps. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. James says, listen, don't say I'm going to do this and this. Next year, I'm going to have this. James says, say if the Lord wills. The mind of man plans his way. The Lord directs his steps. They had a plan. We're going to go out and do this and this. And they were forbidden, they were stopped. After they came to Nicaea, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Nicaea, this doesn't make any sense to us. If it said mineral wells, we'd get it. <laughs> if it said Amarillo, we could picture it. But we, you know, okay. And they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. He had no intention of going to Troas, but he was redirected. Uh, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. That was not on the radar when they left Jerusalem. But they had been stopped twice. Now we're supposed to go into Macedonia. We're supposed to go into Greece. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. Here you go. Which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. Normally, when Paul showed up into a town, he went to the synagogue but there were not enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. This was a Roman colony. This was a little Rome, about hundreds of miles away from Rome. Anyone who lived here, there, wasn't, there weren't many Jews, you had to have ten Jewish men to have a synagogue. They didn't have that many Jews. These were Gentiles. So there's no synagogue, okay, all right, so be it. Uh, we supposing there would be a place of prayer at the riverside. We sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized... See, this is the beginning of the church of Philippi. Lydia and her household. Oh, and then you read in verse 16 that as Paul's in Philippi and he's preaching and talking to different people... There's a girl following around who's demon-possessed, and she tells fortunes, and she's a slave. And the guys that own her are making all kinds of money off her. And Paul gets irritated and turns to her and casts the demon out of her, and she is set free and converted to Christ. And now they're ticked off because he's hit them in their pocketbook. And so they go to the bureaucracy, and next thing you know, he's in jail. 19, when her, saw, when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace for the authorities. So now the, the crowd rises up against them, verse 22. Uh, they beat them with rods. When they struck them with many blows, 23, they threw them in the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is what you call crisis. This is what you don't want to have happen. But it's exactly what happened. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. (laughs) Well, that would certainly be my first reaction. Probably not. Probably not. The prisoners were listening. They were rejoicing. Why were they rejoicing? Because of perspective. What had happened? Man, they were going to go, they were heading to Asia and all this, and God redirected, and all of a sudden, here's this gal, and her whole house will come to the Lord. That's amazing. And this little girl was set free. That's just amazing. Thank you, Lord. Have they, are, are they getting beat up? Yeah, but Lord, you're doing a work. This is incredible. Thanks that we're a part of it. Thanks that we know you. Uh, they're praying, singing hymns, and the prisoners are listening to them. Suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains weren't fastened. That's called supernatural. The jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, don't harm yourself, we're all here. They didn't run, they stayed put. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house, and he took them that very hour of the night washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. That's how the church of Philippi began. Is that wild or what? These are the people that Paul's writing to in Philippi. Is that a wild story, or what? Okay, now. Now, no, right, no, 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 let's apply this. When you're in a place, as a believer, following Jesus Christ, you don't want to be, and you've got suffering, you've got hardship, you've got difficulty in your marriage. Uh, I had a guy come up to me this week. I've talked with him many times. He said, Steve, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just file for divorce. And I just listened to him. I mean, this, this guy has been hurt deeply. Longstanding thing. He's in a tough, tough, tough deal. I, I honestly don't think his wife knows the Lord. And we're just talking. I'm just listening to it. And he said, I think I'm going to do it. I really can't tell you. He, what he was saying is, I really don't have... I'm unsure, but I'm just, I'm just tired of this. I'm just tired of it. And I get that. I, I don't have a marriage like that. I, I can't imagine what that would be like. And then he started talking about his son. I said, how old are your boys again? And he told me. He said, my one concern is what it's going to do to them. I said, so are you telling me you have hesitation? He said, yeah. I said, well, Romans 14 at the very end says, whatever is not of faith is sin. If you can't move ahead with a clear conscience, you shouldn't move ahead. I'm sorry to tell you that, because I know you're you're just pained out, man. But a wrong move, could cause more pain than you've ever dreamed of. You, you just pray over that, ponder it. Sometimes our pain is so great, we just want to run and escape, and the Lord gets that. But oftentimes in trying to bolt from the pain, <laughs> we're pouring kerosene on our own fire. If you can't move ahead on something with a clear conscience from the Word of God, don't you move. You stay put. See, when the pain's that great, you don't have perspective. Now suddenly, as we were talking, he had perspective. I had just read that scripture either that morning or the day before. I shared it with him. It wasn't me, it was the Word of God. See, he stepped out of that immediate pain and he got perspective. He who began a good work in you. Now, can I ask you something? How did the good work begin in your life? What's your story? Everybody in here has got a story. What was it that the Lord did? How did he bring you to Christ? What people were involved? What were the circumstances? Maybe it started with a grandmother who prayed for you before you were born. I mean, I don't know. See. But there are stories, there are stories. There is a history. God has been good, God has been faithful. You're on a journey, we're pilgrims, we're just passing through. But how did you get on the journey to begin with? See, it's good in the present perspective of pain to take a step back and look at the past because see, you'll see the goodness of God. When you're struggling a little bit with the goodness of God in the present, go back to the past and look and see how you even got on the path to follow Christ. It's the goodness of God. It's the faithfulness of God. It's the kindness of God. It's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God in your life that He brought you to know Him. He who began a good work in you, watch this, will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. Now that's future. So you take a step back, you look at your past, you see the goodness and the graciousness of God. But when you also step back out of the immediate, you got to look ahead. Because he who began a good work in you, it doesn't say might bring it to completion. Hopefully will bring it to conclusion. to completion. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. You've got a future and a hope no matter how difficult things are right now. That's why, why Paul will talk about this momentary light affliction. Well, sometimes this momentary light affliction gets heavy, especially when it comes in waves. Oftentimes, I'll have interaction with guys, and you know, it's always funny. Everybody looks normal. Everybody looks together. Everybody looks like they got it life figured out. And then guys start talking, and opening up their heart, and you find out, well, you know, this happened two years ago. Boom! And then right on the heels of that, I got nailed from over here. Boom! 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 Reminds me of Psalm 42. All thy waves have rolled over me. A lot of times affliction and suffering, come, they come in waves. Not just once. You get blinds. Boom! 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 That's tough stuff. When that happens, know this. God has something in mind for you. God doesn't waste that. That kind of crisis is purposeful. That's not random. That's not the bad luck of the draw. That is the hand of Almighty God who is at work and who's got something in mind that you cannot see, you cannot comprehend, that you cannot imagine. You don't have a clue what it is. But you see, you've got to take a step back. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. In other words, your, your life's not over right here. Well, what if it's cancer and what if I die? Your life's not over right here. If you know Christ. Am I right on that? Paul didn't know if he was going to die right then or not. He didn't know. But what's he saying? in 129? For me to live as Christ, and to die is gain. Bring it on. I'd actually rather die. Because if I die, I'm in the presence of Christ. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. That's called stress-free living. Forever. Forever. Well, when you put it that way, yeah, I'm ready to go especially when the pain is so great and the weight is so heavy and you're exhausted from it and you get weary in well-doing and the discouragement just keeps coming in waves. And, and this is what happens, guys. This is, listen, this is tough stuff, this Christian life. Because God's at work turning us from immature men to mature men. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. That's the future perspective. Um, I quoted Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but I didn't quote 10. That's normally what we do. We memorize Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But man, you can't forget 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that any man should boast, for we, oh, that any man should boast. Now we're at 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not good works to be saved. You were saved in verse 8 by grace. But see, once he comes into your life and redeems you and begins to mature you, now what he's going to do is, he's going to use you. You, He's going to use you. And your life is going to have Influence. And, and quite frankly, you may not even know the influence. But as you walk with Christ, there is an aroma of Christ. You don't even have to talk about Christ. If he's in your life, you just walk into a room and there's an aroma of Christ. And to some, that's an aroma to life, and to others, it's an aroma to death. But he, he will use you. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Watch this. Which God prepared beforehand, before you were ever born, that, that, that you would walk in them. So see, He has something to do with your life. Before God, before God will work through you, He will first work in you. God takes strong men and He breaks them down and He hurts them. That's what He does. He pains them. Because we tend to hold on to our gifts and our plans and our projections, our schemes, and we have to learn to let go of those. And usually it takes some hits. And he'll hurt you because he loves you. Sometimes you hurt your kids because you love them. Because you want to train them. You want to redirect them. If your kid, if your little three-year-old is never disciplined, that little three-year-old is going to think, they're going to grow up thinking the world revolves around them. And somebody's going to have to deal with that in their life. It ought to be dealt with at home. Because the longer that goes on, the more hard it gets. You know exactly what I'm saying. Same thing in our lives. Not my will, but thine be done. Before he works through you, he will work in you. And it'll hurt. But it's redemptive. It's surgery. It's surgery. And then he heals you. he'll heal you up. And then he'll use you. Um you got a future and you got a hope. But man, when you're in that pain, you think the pain is forever. L- let me let me finish. Let's go to Romans eight. Not sure where you are tonight, but You should know that what we're talking about, this kind of pain is not unusual in the Christian life. But this pain is not random. This pain is purposeful. And, 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 and the way to get your wheels under you, in the pain and the suffering and the hardship, is to step back and get the perspectives, not just immediate, not just present. Look at the past and look ahead. Okay. Romans 8. I'd like to read the whole chapter. I can't, but I'll read Romans 8, one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I will read Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may have, you may have inner struggle and inner pain, but if you have trusted in Christ alone, For the forgiveness of your sins, you have peace with God. And you are forgiven. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation... Why would you do that? Well, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, steadfastness, staying at your post... And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us and will never leave us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's the wrath that's coming. Notice the love of God? All right, now go to Romans 8. You say, but Steve, I'm always screwing up. I'm a sinner. I mean, I do the things I, I, Steve, I I know I shouldn't do those things and I do them and I'm always struggling and I got this conflict. Well, that's Romans 7. I have guys all the time say, you know, I struggle, Steve, so much with sin, I don't even think I'm a Christian. No, 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 you're a Christian, otherwise you wouldn't be concerned about the struggle. The guys who aren't Christians, they don't give a rip about struggling with sin. They just dive into it in the deep end. That's what we used to do before we knew Christ. 28. Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. This hardship, this difficulty, this pain... that that you are in in the present, this thing you wish you you could remove. Divorce, cancer, I, I don't know, bankruptcy, whatever it is, whatever it is. Is it good? No. But see, watch this. And we know that God causes all things, watch, watch this, to work together for good. He makes it work. You think no good could ever come out of it. It's what he does. It's resurrection power. And we know that God calls, causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. A lot of Christian guys who don't know their Bible, they don't like predestination. You can't go to heaven without predestination. All predestination... Uh, Question, how many of you guys believe God has a plan for your life? Can I see your hands? You believe in predestination. That's all it means. Those whom He foreknew, and actually the idea there is those whom He foreloved, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, He also called. Whom He called, He justified. That's Romans 5. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. That's going to happen. You see, when Christ saves us, He gives us the whole package. We're not just saved from our sin at that moment. But He saves me from my sin. Now His Spirit lives within me. And see, now I'm set apart. The the technical term is you have justification, is when you trust in Christ, and the blood of Christ is applied, and you're in Christ, okay? Your sin is forgiven. The wrath that should have come on you was on Jesus. You are in the Beloved, okay? And early in Romans 8, you were adopted into the family of God. Uh, legally, you're in His family, okay? But then, once you're born again, now it's sanctification. You've been set apart, and now you're going to walk with Christ until you die, and He will walk with you, and the Spirit will be in you, and you're going to grow in grace. And you Are you going to do it perfectly? No, you're going to stumble, and you're going to screw up, and you're going to mess up. But see, in Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace you have been saved... And that construction there is a participle, and the idea is, for by grace you have been saved with continuing results. He just keeps on saving you as you walk through life, and you mess up and you screw up, and then you'll learn and you grow, and all this, and you have, a, you know, you step back a little bit, and then you move ahead. And there's okay, so you're walking next nice sanctification, and then when you die, and you go to heaven, and Christ comes back, and all this stuff, and you know, okay, it's glorification. And the struggle's over, man. It's over. <laughs> and when you trust in Christ alone, see salvation, He gives you the whole package with all the options. There's nothing left off. You get a, you, that rear window wiper is in the deal. <laughs> that, uh, I rented a car in Alabama and I'm, I'm pulling out of the, it's a, they gave me a Tahoe and I'm driving out of there. And I'm driving all of a sudden, think, oh, shoot, I gotta take this back because I get this vibration coming out of the seat. And I'm what the heck is that? There's some kind of short in this car. And then I'm driving, and then, and then it shorts on the right side of the seat. And, and I'm trying to find the return to get back to Avis, and, and then I saw this thing on the dash, and I'd never seen that before. And then I thought, wait a minute. And on purpose I veered over to the stripe as soon as I did. And then I went over this way. I hated that. (laughs) But they gave me, for some reason, an upgrade that I didn't pay for. They gave me the whole package. When you come to Christ, you get the whole package. He who began a good work will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus and you will not come under the wrath that is to come. Because Jesus took the wrath. You got a future and a hope and he will get you through this suffering and adversity and you'll come out better and you'll come out mature and you'll be a better dad and a better husband and a better grandpa and a better man. That's how God works. We thank you, Father. For the word of God, how do we get content with this stuff, Lord? We just have to understand that you're our Father and you love us and nothing. If we kept reading Romans, nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing. 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 We're amazed. We're grateful. We walk out of here with hope in the living God. You know what's best. We put ourselves in your care. In Jesus' name, amen.